Are we recording? You, yeah. It's happening. It's... It is hap- absolutely happening. Hell. I assume your fatigue is due to your just rigorous tweeting at the moment. It's, I've been must online. Have taken a lot. Yeah, I've... you have been online. It's I've been following from afar. It's crazy. <laughs> I, it's you funny because you, you, your consumption of Twitter is so funny to me because you are not on Twitter. And you, you, I assume what happens is you have to manually type in like oh, every yeah. account you want to go to and you go cycle through a whole bunch of accounts that you kind of lurk at. It's so embarrassing. I it's don't know heaps, what happens. But it's heaps funny. It's, it, it's funny because I think, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think most people on Twitter forget that they can be seen by people who aren't on Twitter. And mm. potentially actually that's like this, there's people I lurk, there's people still that I lurk without following on Twitter that I'll occasionally type in their account and have a look at. So yeah, you forget. Um, I've never had Twitter, but I, I just find it a way of, it's a good way of dropping in to see what people are doing or not doing as the case may be. <laughs> well, probably all the more because they're unawares that you're dropping in. Yep. Wow. Well, what I think I need to say is that we have agreed in advance, right? We decided we were going to record today like a week ago. Yep. So we're trying to get on like a bi-weekly, fortnightly, let's be more precise, schedule. Um, and just for a little while, because my assumption is that when the new baby drops uh, in the next month or so, I'll, I will be out of action. Like we, we'll, we'll see what happens. But my assumption is like that there will be no more podcasts from me for for a few years. But we'll see. Really? You think a few years? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I, I don't see. Yeah, I don't see how I'm going to have. Because also semester will start. Yeah, I don't see realistically when I'll when I'll be on a podcast again. Like I, I would love to. We'll see. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm forever a pessimist with this stuff. But I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, to be honest, like yeah, almost like is that going to be the end of Metacritic? Like I I don't I, obviously formally I'm not calling that. Um, but yep. I feel like that, and that could happen. You know, it could happen any time because because babies will want to come. I assume we'll get another couple of eps out before that happens, but we'll see. Yeah, all great things come to an end. <sighs> That's true, and also. Everything that isn't great. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I don't agree with any of that. That's all. That's all. That's all. Like just defeatist materialist bullshit. Nihilist. Like presentism. I'm not having it. But okay. Regardless. Speaking of great things, we we just yeah we were gonna do we we're gonna do a recording today, and originally we we're gonna have have someone on <laughs> to discuss like some very different stuff, and you know events have happened. Outrageous events in the interim, or or, or, or perhaps non-events. Well, James is referencing here my insistence that the sixth of January is not a genuine event, and, and we'll have to get into that. I'm really as stuck to comment on something as I am on what's happening now, and I feel like the only only thing we can do is really go through just analytically what we've seen happen. Yeah, because I've got some takes, but they're pretty. Formative or inchoate. So, on the sixth of January, there was a, a giant. There were two. I mean, basically, the Congress met to confirm the election of, of Biden, President-elect Biden, and this was, I take it, the definitive last point in the constitutional process for the appointment of the new president, where things could have changed. So either, well, most obviously Congress could not have agreed to confirm Biden. That, that, as I understand it, was a live possibility in the sense that it's constitutionally possible or could have been done. There was no re- realistic prospect of that happening. I take it that Trump was pinning all his hopes on the idea that his own vice president, Mike Pence, would exercise constitutional powers to refuse to confirm accept refuse to accept the votes from certain states thus allowing trump to go to go on to a second term which pence completely and totally predictably refused to do on the basis that he didn't even have the constitutional power to do it in the first place and i've got no idea whether that was the case but in the midst this trump had called a giant rally in dc and this was unprecedented because trump previously hadn't done this during this during the post-election cycle. He hadn't been holding rallies. He'd been holding rallies all through the election period. 
And then once the election had happened, he stopped. And there'd been a lot of rallies happening, but they had nothing directly to do with him. And he'd done, you know, he did like a drive through when they had the Million Mega March, which is the biggest previous rally in DC. But he hadn't been in the you know position of organizing them or appearing this time he hosted a rally that he had personally deliberately put his imprimatur on on the white house lawn and it was the biggest rally they'd had because of course everybody came because these people are trump loyalists and trump was organizing it and so they had this giant rally i've heard conflicting stories about numbers as you would but certainly in the tens of thousands of people um, according to people who, who are broadly opposed um, into the six figures, according to, to people who are sympathetic. And, okay, what, what we then know is that having heard Trump speak on the White House grounds, which is where the rally was held initially, they marched on the Capitol where this vote was about to take place and got inside the Capitol building, the Capitol building being where the Congress meet, and... The Congress went into lockdown. All the Congress men and women were secreted uh, away from both the chamber. They weren't in there. They initially were in the chamber, but the chamber was cleared. They were sent somewhere secure. I'm not totally sure where because they weren't, weren't in their offices, it seemed, because protesters went, in, went into the chamber, uh, went into the offices of Congress men and women, um, but they were nowhere to be found. And... Well, that's what happened on the 6th of January. And, and you know, we can mention that the protesters or, you know, some protester seems to have killed a cop outside. Um, three protesters seem to have killed over and died from various medical conditions. And one woman was shot in the neck and killed by some form of um, law officer. James, I, I'm conscious I'm, I'm talking a lot, but that, that's my narrative of what objectively happened on the on the sixth yep sounds right um to get a to get a picture i need to i'm trying to visualize this how far is the capital from the white house i have how no far is the march idea i've been to dc before but i in in you know the l ludicrous conceited fashion that you know was my one then i i refused to go to any of these places so i've been yep. to dc but didn't go down to i have no idea never seen the white yeah, house okay. the capital yeah even though i spent days in dc so um i don't know <laughs> i assume it's pretty adjacent i think it's pretty close the center yeah. of dc is pretty small it's pretty old kind of yeah 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 it's an easy i mean the, the, those and facts that, that you just the facts that you just spouted seem seem pretty inarguable yeah well the question is what, um, you, what how you lost them right because yeah so we immediately and this is this is the point. I mean, and people have been drawing comparisons to September 11th. And it, have they? It rem yeah, all over the place, man. Fuck me. Because well, okay, so th yeah, there's a. I mean, there's some very clear in that. So, firstly, I mean, one of the one of the. <laughs> I mean, the September 11 analogies are interesting. One of the ways it's been drawn is negatively, in the sense that like there were talking heads, liberal talking heads on Twitter saying this is the worst thing that's ever happened in American history, <laughs> and and. Um, you know, September 11 was immediately brought up as a like, isn't it worse? And and then people doubled down. There was like, no, this is worse than September 11. Uh, yep. That that's that was said. Uh, and but no, the 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 September 11 analogy, I think, is is close. And it was immediately apparent to me because of what you saw on September 11. Within two or three hours of the planes hitting, was the emergence of a very clear narrative, and yep. that narrative invented basically immediately afterwards dominated the next 10 years in yep. world politics. And I don't know, when, I, obviously I can't predict what's going to happen with this, but the same thing, you saw this very, very clear narrative emerging almost immediately. So the, that protest had, had quote, stormed yep. the capital. That, uh, and this, wasn't, this isn't quite a kind of consensus, but there's a lot of people have been describing them as terrorists, uh, yep. seditionists, as other phrases have been used to describe the, the protesters. And that narrative about what, what took place struck me as just not, not being what, I, what I've seen. Like, I don't yeah. think... What I saw was some chaotic scenes. Also, I mean, the other thing that we need to mention, of course, is that there was a very strong and immediate narrative that it was a coup. 
or an attempted coup, specifically by Trump, uh, an attempt to use force. I mean, another word that was used a lot is violence, which is another, another phrase that I think is it's a very ambiguous phrase, but it's been widely banded around. So the idea that force was being used to prevent the confirmation of Biden and thereby to keep Trump in office. So that, that's, that's the allegation. Uh, and I basically, uh, nothing I've seen bears that out. Now, obviously, there was some violence. In particular, there was enough violence that this cop was killed. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that having, you know, that, that basically there, was, there were very different things going on. So there were bits of kind of street fighting or very intense tussling between cops and, and protesters, enough that, that one policeman was killed and others were injured. But there, it's also very clear, and the footage is out there, that there were points around the barricade in the Capitol where people were let in, like, were like literally, there's, you know, you can shoot, see the videos of cops like holding the doors open for protesters. Well, I mean, basically, that's not violent. Like, if you, it, it's pretty clear to me that a significant portion of the people in the Capitol building were not violent at all. They just wandered in and they were wandering around. And, it doesn't seem to me that anybody in there convincingly could be said to have been trying to do anything. Like there was, there is no evidence that anyone was following any kind of premeditated plan to do anything political. I think events like this are close to our hearts because they speak to our radical ambivalence when it comes to reading these things, but I still don't know what to make of it. Um, and I think it comes down to <clears throat> our discussion a couple of days ago via text about whether this constituted something or, or nothing. I think we both agree that it wasn't a coup um, or anything like that. And you, I think you were suggesting, Mark, that actually nothing had occurred, whereas I was sort of thinking that perhaps something had. I just didn't know what the something was, um, whether it was in the realm of the symbolic or the, or, or the aesthetic. Or, or, and I'm still no closer to the decision there. Um, but I guess it's worth probably backtracking slightly. And this is, I mean, in the back of my mind, I've got a couple of, the context here is that after our other Trump episode a few weeks ago, I've got a few concerned friends that think I've swallowed the Trump pill. I think they, I think they suspect you're too far gone, but I think they, uh, they suspect I've swallowed the Trump pill um, and that I'm sort of where I and perhaps both of us are, are sort of perhaps not giving due do wait to some of the things that are occurring. And I'll leave that to other people to decide. But it's perhaps going back a little bit, worth coming back here is to say, look, go back to the events that you just just described a few minutes ago. We had a speech at the White House. We had a uh, sort of a protest that arrived at the Capitol and then they entered it via various means. Why is and and then I think what you say, Mark, is, is really important, which is this idea that the narrative that emerges almost immediately in the similar way to September 11, which I think is exactly right. I, I mean, I was 12 when September 11 happened, but even I remember that this bewildering feeling as this narrative starts to take hold, and you don't have any sense of where it's coming from and how it's being propagated. Now, of course, we we do now, of course, but why is it? And this is a question to you: Why is it that people were so quick? to jump on this idea of it being a coup when all of the empirical evidence suggests put let's even we could even allow that it might have been sinister it might have been problematic it might have been there might have been things that we could worry about then we could also disagree with that but let's just allow it for now for the sake of argument there's nothing empirically that suggests it was a coup or even an attempt at a coup so why and how did this well myth begin that's a very easy question to answer because the the coup narrative has been being being run about Trump since 2016, yeah. before he took office, because it was always necessary to claim that Trump wanted to do a coup to substantiate the claim that he wanted, was a fascist. So people always said, oh, Trump's a fascist. What that means is he wants to suspend democracy. And very consistently since 2016, people have been saying about Trump that at some point, Trump will attempt to suspend democracy and take power by, by force. So that was an absolutely pre-made narrative frame. And that this was this has been seized on as the final confirmation of yep. what up until now had looked, you know, I, I mean, this is I've been thinking about your friends uh, or possibly friend singular in, in this regard in, in relation to this idea that I, I've, I'm wrong 
because like you know what i've been what i've been arguing is that you know trump was never going to do do a coup is never going to do a coup and primarily not because actually not because he doesn't want to but because he simply doesn't have the wherewithal to do it which i, I mean actually i think that has been borne out 100 percent by what happened I mean, I've said this to people, and I don't really want to concede that there was an attempt to do a coup on this occasion, because honestly, I don't think there was. But if if it was an attempt to do a coup, it was the most pathetic one you've ever seen. Like, yeah. like more pathetic. I mean, we can think about some pathetic coups, like the attempted coup in, in Turkey a few years ago, which seemed to have absolutely no chance of success. But at least they got some tanks on the streets. I mean, yeah. the, 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 <laughs> thing, the thing you need to do a coup is to mobilise aspects of the state and specifically the security state yeah right you need to have some troops on your side you need to have and you know people have, i mean this is what i've been saying that of course trump well known for having a huge level of support among rank and file police troops at a basic level that the army the police are very supportive of trump the problem with trump is he has almost no support in the officer corps and that's what you need to do a coup. And, you know, the, the, I mean, the, the big backer Trump has, he probably would do a coup for him, is this guy, General Flynn. But he's a retired general, right? Yeah. But active service. And there's been some very interesting stuff. I mean, because ultimately the officer corps basically are PMCs. And the officer corps have flipped over the last 20 years from being solidly Republican to being quite solidly Democrat. Because they're all college educated and people who come out of colleges and they're Democrats. And that's basically the army, the army aren't going to do it. The army were never going to do it. And for that reason, and I mean, I've said this, if, if you want to say there's a coup happening here, basically you have two of the components of a coup. You have a leader and a mob, like a kind of rabble, and you need to have something in the middle. But there's absolutely no meat in the sandwich of this coup. Like there's like nothing. I mean, not even the most basic form of leadership for someone to say, you know, because those guys were in the capital, and, and and there was not, you know, there there were thousands of people in the capital. Like if they if they'd had even a, a smidgen of organisation, they could have like literally, you know, taken. Because basically everyone was there. There were a huge number of people, uh, tens of thousands of people, that there on Trump's side, and all the Congress people were there. The you know Vice President was there. They could have, I don't know what massacred them. Uh, you know, they, they could have tied them up. You know, they they could have done all kinds of things. Not only did they did they not do it en masse, there was literally no attempt by anyone to do anything of that nature. I mean, there's there, there's allegations going around that, that that there was there was shooting from the protesters, but I have great trouble believing that. You know, I, I feel like there'd be a lot more made of it if that were true. Uh, that certainly is not part of the mainstream media narrative. And again, you know, we've got to assume a large proportion of the Trump supporters who were there at that rally own guns. There's basically no evidence that any of them brought guns there, even though enough, you know, it technically it would be illegal in, in D.C. to do that because D.C., like a lot of U.S. cities, has very restrictive gun laws or comparatively the rest of the U.S. So it's not like an open, it's not like you're allowed to just wander around with guns as you are at protests in many, many parts of America. But if they'd been intent on doing a coup, you've got to assume they would have turned up with guns. But there's basically no evidence that any number of protesters had, had firearms. There's, they just weren't prepared to do a coup. What what do you think they were planning to do then? Because I mean, this this I think is quite interesting in the sense that you know you see a lot of the protesters had like their own little t-shirts with their own little brandings on them and those kinds of stuff, and you know they obviously they a lot of it was premeditated that it was planned on social media. I mean, do you think it's do you think it's clear what they were intending other than just to do a bit of rabble rousing? But I think it's I think it's very clear what they what what, what they thought was going to happen, and it was based on what Trump because Trump's trailing for this event was like oh i've got some big surprises for you on the sixth and this idea of the surprise has been huge across the narrative here right so there's been this constant you know this this there was this narrative around the kraken you know there's the whole q narrative there's this idea with that at some point things will be revealed which are not currently obvious because the bottom line was there was no basis for anyone to expect anything to happen right yeah but trump basically trailed oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna pull a rabbit out of the hat here so yeah what people turned up expecting was they they were ready for action that would be led that by Trump it. would tell them to do yeah and that Trump or someone Trump's team someone who was in no sense part of them but someone at a higher level would would step in and give them leadership 
And from that yeah. point of view, if someone had been willing, if Trump had actually said, okay, we're going to, you know, march on the Capitol building now and kill every member of Congress. I mean, I don't know if people would have followed him if he'd said that. But that would have been, you know, that would have been it. And I'm going to take it what happened here, basically, is Trump said, oh, we're going to march on, on Congress. And a, non, a non-trivial number of people thought that he'd given them some kind of order at that point, because it's like, okay, this is it. This is it. It's actually going to go down. They all came there expecting something to go down. Trump basically, as my, my narrative here about Trump is, Trump didn't have any clue what he was doing. And I think this is just his entire presidency. I mean, you know, I think Trump, I mean, this is, this is a big question. Like, what the fuck did Trump think he was doing calling this rally on the 6th? What did you think this was going to accomplish? And in that space, you can go, well, he was intending to use the rally to do a coup. But I tend to think Occam's razor, basically, no, he just didn't, he just was going to have a rally. Like, that's what Trump does. He thought, I'll just have a big, beautiful rally. And he thinks of it in those, explicitly in those terms. Like, it's an aesthetic he had an aesthetic and not a political objective. Like he wanted to have a giant rally with everyone holding signs saying his name on. That is, I think, as far as he got. He also genuinely believed that there was this possibility Pence would, would do it for him. And I think that was probably the, the magic rabbit that he was imagining. Was like, do you think he actually did believe that? Like he actually thought Pence would follow through? Well, he kept telling Pence to do it. I, I, think yeah. he, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard to tell when you're dealing with a psychopath like yeah. Trump. Like, because yeah. I don't think... I, tr- Trump's, Trump's grasp on reality is... Um, I mean, it's reasonably good in some ways, but I think in some ways much better than a lot of other people's. But I think Trump, um, Trump's narcissism trumps that. If I think, sorry, using the word Trump in two senses in the same sentence. But I, I think, yeah, tr- Trump's, Trump's self-regard knows no bounds. So consequently, you know, I mean, consequently, firstly, he believes that whatever needs to happen to help him will happen. And then also, if it doesn't happen, he will immediately just move on to the next, next belief in that regard. So, okay, it hasn't worked, but he still believes he'll somehow win. Even if he loses, he'll believe in it. So that's fine. He's got absolute self-confidence. But he has no political nous at all, really. Like, he doesn't understand politics. He doesn't understand what's going on. Uh, my, that is my assumption about him. He's called this rally with no planning at all. Everyone's turned up with no planning because, and this is the, the delusion shared by Trump's most ardent supporters and his most ardent opponents, they all share a delusional belief that Trump is a political mastermind who knows what he's doing. And he doesn't. So they've shown up, they have tried to fill in the gap and going into the Capitol building, I mean, it was very easy for them to think, think of it accomplished. I mean, even, you, you know, you can see, like I, said, I t- spoke about there being points in the Capitol where people were just let in. There were points where there was kind of fighting and there were points where people easily overpowered the cordon and got in. So, you know, kind of in between the two. But the bottom line is like, it was very easy for people to get in the Capitol, but they needed further instructions at that point and they didn't happen. Do you think they expected to get into the Capitol? Because the thing that, that struck me, I mean, a lot of these people, what struck me is that their, their look of, when you see the photos of them inside, just the look of sheer childlike awe. And I think what's, what's really striking with a lot of these people is that a lot, of these, a lot of these Trump supporters, which are presumably, a lot of them are self-identify as libertarian or anti-state, at least in some way, um, uh, once they actually enter this sort of, cathedral to the American American statehood and democracy, they just look totally overawed. They they look they're sort of reduced to at least I mean I'm thinking about the guy that stole the uh, lect was not not a lectern, what is it? The <laughs> your, what, your what academia is, is showing. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know. Podium what do you call that thing? I want to say podium. Yeah, like a podium. But he just looked I think you said this. He just looks like a like a like a mischievous like, like prankster. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Like, I, I like, mean, I don't know anything uh, about the man, but it, it, to me, he just looked like someone who goes, I can't believe we're here. Uh, I'm going to steal this shit. No, but I, I mean, I relate to this at this visual level because I've, I've been in, and I think a lot of people with a, on a kind of protesting history have been in situations where this ex- exact thing happens, yeah. where suddenly, you know, you you go from a position where you are held back where suddenly the streets are yours, where suddenly the buildings are yours. I mean, actually, yeah. the thing that it reminds me of most proximally, which you know, I was really more of a spectator at than a participant, was the London riots in, in 2010, was it? 2011. Yeah. When it was something I saw rather participated in, but the looters, like suddenly, you know, they, they went from being these, like from poor people who couldn't afford to buy anything, from like, yeah, like every shop is ours, we can take what we want. Yeah. And that, and without, like, they had done it, but without really intending to. 
like people had gone out and protest and then suddenly, you know, the cops had melted away and suddenly it was just a wonderland where everything was free. That is exactly what happened. The bottom line is no one in that protest had forethought. And or, I mean, maybe no one is too much, but basically, you know, <laughs> it's, I've, I've got to just reiterate what I said already. These people are plan trusters. I mean, that is the, the cue mantra, but also the mantra of other parts of the, the pro-Trump movement, which is trust the plan. The idea is that there's somebody in charge. We don't know what the plan is, but there must be a plan. Yeah. And th this has been said again and again, not just by Q people. Trump must have a plan. Like yeah. they, they, they look at the evidence. They're like, well, Trump says he's not going to concede. Trump says, and they're like, well, Trump is going to save us. Trump must have a plan. And this is ludicrous. There is, like, it's an insane belief in the sense that Trump, Trump has never given any indication that he has any clue what he's doing. He's stumbled into office. The thing is, the very fact he was able to win the presidency in the first place gave people such huge confidence in his abilities, even though it basically was an accident. I mean, you know, there's, there's good evidence that he didn't really want to win the presidency. You know, it was just a publicity stunt that went awry or something like that. And yeah, this, this, this desperate need to believe in Trump, which is because people have a desperate void, like they have a need to believe in something, their lives are terrible, they want someone, they want someone to save them. There's no other option. They can't see any other way out than Trump. So therefore, it's, it's that. It's a piece of deductive reasoning. Someone must be going to save me. I can't see who's going to save me. Therefore, it must be Trump, even though there's a great lack of evidence, which is so there their faith comes in. In some ways, I'm thinking that that, that is one of the things that unify, not, not in the same manner, of course, but one of the ways that um, pro-Trumpers and anti-Trumpers are unified in the sense is the sense that like, Trump has a plan. In, on the liberal side, there's this sense that he has a sinister plan, which of course was guaranteed sorry, not guaranteed, which was a sort of um, proven by this supposed coup. That is just, and as you said, you know, from even before he was elected, there was a sense in which he was a kind of uh, quasi-fascist or indeed a full-blown fascist who has, you know, uh, intentions uh, for himself that are, you know, radically dangerous for the, for, for the American democracy, um, which is then it's borne out by the coup. I just want but to say then, that we should, yeah. you, you can, this is true to like a very, very extreme degree. It's not just that they, that both Trump and his supporters, uh, both Trump supporters and opponents think that Trump has a plan. They think he has the same plan. I mean, yeah, a lot of his yeah. supporters want him yeah. to become basically a fascist yeah. dictator. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's not that they, yeah, it's not they even disagree about the detail. I mean, they disagree about the normative valence, but they basically want Trump, you know, the, the thing liberals are worried about Trump doing is the same thing a lot of his base want him to do. Yeah. But they're both wrong that he's, he's, he's that guy. Yeah. And I they think they desperately uh, need to believe that he is. Yes. And that's right. And I think, I think that comes back to our, original, our point in the last in the episode, a few episodes ago, um, saying, you know, your idea, Mark, about the sort of psychosexual obsession uh, of Trump on behalf of liberals. And I think in some ways, what's been really striking, again, with this, um, this discussion about the, the, the events on the 6th as, as a coup, is as again is is just it's 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 repeated like a kind of ritual, like a kind of ritualistic magic word, um, which is just repeated again and again and again until it's borne out or true and further mythologized. And we said and you said this via text the other day is that you know no one will know how to read this event until much later, which I agree with. Um, but what's interesting, I think, is that how I mean on the liberal side or on the left wing side, or the or the mainstream left wing side. The, their suspicions have been borne out here because in how they've retroactively read the events of the six. What, what's less clear, I think, is how pro-Trumpers will read the events of the six. Like, will they see it as a failure? Will they see? It, will they let? Do they see themselves as being let down by Trump himself? Um, will they see? Is it the beginning of something bigger? Is it the sort of the kind of feeble death throes of something that's dying out? I, I honestly don't know. But it seems to me much less clear how it's going, how the events of this is going to be read on the side of those who support Trump. Yeah, I mean, and there's been a big shift because of the way Trump himself. Did the next day, you mean? Very odd. Yeah, um, one eighty. Well, yeah, like, I mean, we don't know where Trump's going to land on it. I and mean, Trump himself more or less mm -hmm. disavowed the actions of his supporters. And in fact, he, I mean, went further than that. An extraordinary thing where he he. Um, said he was going to basically take charge of like hunting down and prosecuting people who'd gone into the capital. Like he bought into the idea that these, I mean, this is, and this is where I'm just like, 
so exercised by this because like the, these guys like okay you know fine like the you know people people who like injured cops i mean you've got to expect that's going to be dealt with pretty harshly although you know i mean there's a very very vociferous chorus from the right pointing out the absolute hypocrisy of a lot of people on the left in terms of what they've been saying mm-hmm. about the cops for most of the last 12 months versus what they're suddenly saying about the suits of the cops now but yeah sure like people who've, who've injured cops and stuff but the, the 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 bottom line is that the claim is that everyone who wandered into the capitol building is like a violent enemy of the state and most of these people just did something so anodyne and trivial and the idea that you know the the congress is hallowed ground and anyone who dares to step in it without explicit written approval should meet the full wrath of the state well it's unsurprising in a way right if you know a little bit of political theory it's it's not surprising that this is what the state does i mean this is this this has a very long history you know if you if you touch the edge of the king's robe without permission, like what's going to happen to you, you know? And this is, but this, this is, I mean, it's very, very clear that what, what we have here is, is, you know, a bipartisan histrionic reaction to something that has challenged the appearance of the power of the state, the US state. And that is intolerable to the political elite as a whole and also to to the capitalist class i mean there's been you know we've seen these great you know in a year of of corporate signaling right we saw all the corporations signal their support for blm i mean now we've seen them all have these incredible these corporate statements we stand we the bank of america we axe body spray stand in favor of a peaceful this they will keep using this phrase peaceful transition of power yeah so they're they're all because of course of course the you know this is not this is not good for business no, it's not good for business. What's really striking, I think, and what I perhaps find the most haunting of the last few days is when the facade drops briefly, or at least you, you begin to see behind the curtain and you see the political mainstream, whether it's politi- politicians themselves or indeed their supporters in the media, is the actual visceral disgust they show at images of normal people inside the, the physical corridors of power. And it, it, it is literally a, a, a reaction of disgust. Um, the fact that they were presumably all of them or most of them are uh, right-wing Trump supporters is one matter, but you, you, you can, you one assumes it would be the same if it were another, another movement as well. But it's simply, it's, it's, as you say, it's, it's the actual kissing or touching of the robe um, when it hasn't been allowed. It is a, it is, a, it is like almost a physical reaction, and the hysteria is so telling. I think, um, and you see what I, what I, I assume you agree with, is Mark. But you see really what is a kind of hatred for normal people, uh, everyday people that aren't actually involved in the annals of power. Yeah, that's right, and it, it gives it gives the lie to the notion you know, the, the concept of democracy. I mean, one of the most astonishing things in this regard is, is the way in which, you know, Trump was accused of assaulting democracy by inciting the mob. I mean, something that needs to be said here, I think, is that Trump is to blame here. Like, mm. Trump is to blame. And I, I don't mean like, I don't buy, the, the liberal narrative is like, Trump is to blame for inciting people to assault democracy. No, Trump is to blame for inciting people to get themselves into huge amounts of trouble in his name to try to help him and then he's fucking thrown them under the bus in fact he's he's driven the bus over them and it's absolutely in his power i mean i i I genuinely think trump should pardon everyone arrested who's been arrested for non-violent stuff and to do with this 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 capital invasion because it's his fucking fault and he should go down for it i have no sympathy for trump if they want to, um, you know, prosecute Trump for inciting mob violence or whatever, I've got no sympathy for him. But I have enormous amounts of sympathy for the ordinary people who he has led like a pied piper into this trap. Yeah, and it and it shows Trump for who he is. I think ultimately, which is which is as a as a fraud. Like he, he's always been a fraud, and he's always been in it for 
himself and himself alone. And it's unfortunate, I think, that so many people who have, I think, in many ways and in many cases, legitimate grievances about lots of things um, have been, yeah, dogged by him, essentially. But I think what's also striking too is I was I, I was thinking about this this morning is that the language of the extent to which the language of mainstream liberal media now mirrors the language of the neoconservatives after September 11, 20 years ago. You know, the idea is you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And I think that's why labelling labeling the the people involved in the events of the 6th as terrorists, especially in America, plays a really fundamental, like, symbolic role, uh, which is to say it makes it impossible to have any form of uh, understanding of their motives. I think it's also telling the extent to which that language since September 11, I think, you know, the connection to September 11 in that sense is pertinent. Um, how that uh, language post-September 11 has now permeated, or, you know, the entire political spectrum in America now. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's not, it's not new in this case, right? It's, uh, this has been this, no. this kind of what, otherization, dehumanization of Trump supporters. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go that far with it because this, I've been arguing on Twitter with, you know, leftists, you know, about this. I mean, there's, there's, I, I think there's been a real heartening extent to which um, people on the kind of, I don't know what, like dirtbag left, part of Twitter or contrarian left have said what I think are basically the right things about this. Yeah. Um, which, which is that, yeah, this is, this is all bullshit, liberal bullshit. And that, that that's right. There's been, but I've been arguing with, with the, the leftists on Twitter who are just, I mean, I had this argument where, you know, I posted, you know, about how I think this guy, you know, the the, the guy who carried the 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 speaker's whatever elected. <laughs> I just think, you know, this guy. I just think when you look at the join his face, he does that. You know, if you look at that guy and you, what I said, you look at that guy and you feel animosity towards him, you're a lizard. Like if you can't see, <laughs> this is this is like this is this is a friendly man having a, having a good time now, and and someone was like, yeah, but he's a fascist bigot. And I, I just, I'm like, well, you know, I mean, first thing about people, so I'm like, you don't actually know what this guy's politics are. And this is, this is important because, like, okay, it's absolutely clear that, of course, there are out and out neo-fascist, racist, etc., um, in significant numbers in, in the kind of Trump coalition. And you can also claim, you know, even the stuff that isn't openly quite there with that stuff, like, okay, it's like, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a strong vein of, of fascism or racism behind whatever. But it's it's also possible. I mean, I feel like there's a completely excluded middle here, which is like there can be people who genuinely believe that the election was stolen and think it's unfair and want to protest against it without believing that Trump is the Messiah. And okay, I think that's that's a pretty small, even nugatory kind of part of the coalition. But part of the reason that 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 you know that there's not a significant you know, body of opinion that sits between these camps is because the, the the other camp completely refuses to allow it. You're not allowed on on the left to go. Wait a minute, like uh, didn't didn't the Democrats just steal this election? By the way, I don't have a I don't basically I'm agnostic on this kind of election issue. Like I haven't looked into it in enough detail. But like I strongly believe, I, I believe that the Trump narrative about this election, in broad strokes, that it was a stolen election, is at least plausible. Like it strikes me as prima facie plausible to suggest that this happened. It strikes me as prima facie plausible because, like, with the way Trump was talked about, with the, with what people, ordinary liberal Americans, like a very large number of them, believe about Trump, it would be surprising if they did not attempt to flip the vote. Like, it would be surprising to me if people who, if you if you believe what people say about Trump that he is a fascist racist the worst person hitler if you believe if you believe that trump is hitler like if i believed that and i was working in like counting votes yeah i'd be chucking trump votes in the bin and i'd be right i would be doing it the only reason i don't i mean obviously i'm not actually an election worker in america but also like i i don't think things are that as extreme as that's made out but it's very clear that a large body of people do so it'd be very surprising if that weren't the case and i think it's perfectly reasonable to think that that's given that i you know i think I think Trump is not hit literally Hitler. I think it's it's reasonable to object to that. And 
but you're not allowed. You, you, there's, which is, I mean, it goes back to this this September 11 logic, which is the George Bush logic. I mean, there's a couple of good posts today about this. Glenn Greenwald, I think, has been saying this. Um, that yeah, it's like the, what Bush said after 9/11: you're either with us or you're against us. So if you're a left-wing anti-war protester, you might as well be a Jihadist. Yeah. So there's no distinction between you know flying a plane into the World Trade Center and saying America shouldn't invade Iraq, but instantly has no. But that that is the situation you're in now, and 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 a lot of the left are willing to do this. A lot of the left are willing to, if you say, yep. hold on, wait a minute, like like I've been saying on Twitter, maybe that guy is not a is not a fascist just because he's wearing a Trump beanie. Like they will say, oh well, you too must be a fascist. Yep. That's yeah, that's great. I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm even more ambivalent than you about the about the election itself because I literally haven't looked into it. And I mean, I'm doing as I said. I think a few podcasts ago, I'm doing everything in my power to avoid thinking about it anymore. Um, the only thing stopping me from doing that, of course, is is you. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, mate. But that's okay. Um, no, it's, it's good to stay on top of things. Um, but I, I mean, I think in regards to your last point. I agree. And I, 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 it's actually something quite profound in, I think, what you said on Twitter, uh, which is something I never thought I'd say. But um, <laughs> when, you, when you said that if you, you can't acknowledge that this man's, you know, this man's face and this man's humanity, then you're a lizard. And I think there's something like fundamentally true in that insofar as, you know, maybe he is, maybe he is a bigot, maybe, maybe he's not, who knows? You know, it's radically unclear what he is and what his life is and what his emotions are. But um, to, to reduce his entire being to that of a probable fascist because of his beanie and because of his association on that day seems like nothing not no emancipatory politics can emerge from that kind of approach just, i mean i don't i don't even care about that i'm just like if you if you're yeah. willing to reduce i do to, i mean okay I, I care about okay I, I do i mean obviously i do care about that question in some sense i, I take it back. Yeah. you're right I care about yours is a more psycho almost a more psychological yeah, take, isn't it? Human yeah. human decency to me is more important than politics. Yeah. And I yeah. I mean this I, I realize how powerfully centrist that sounds. But I like if you walk through life reducing people to political ideologies, when a political ideology like a lot of people don't have one, probably most people, and people who have them, the a political ideology is like a hat they're wearing. You know, this idea, you know. I often think about this, the only the slogan, the only good fascist is a dead fascist. And the absurdity of that line, because it implies that being a fascist is part of the essence of a human being. When it isn't, it's a, for most people, an ephemeral belief. Like most Germans were Nazis during the, the Nazi side, right? It's very important to ask why that was the case. It's very important to ask what it is about. I mean, and some of the questions kind of from more anti-Deutsch direction here are, are quite opposite like you know, what is it about germany and i think there is something about germany german culture that needs to be examined there and criticized but on the other hand the fact that you like everyone else got out and waved a swastika flag it doesn't mean we need to put a bullet in your head because you're a nazi you know even if you join the nazi party like people do that shit and it it isn't who they are i suppose the only counterpoint to that would be I actually don't know the history. I mean, I know the phrase. I don't know the. Do you know the history of the phrase "any good fascist is dead fascist"? Because you hear it a lot in like the seventies and eighties via things like, well, leftist punk rock and that kind of stuff, where the opposition there are like Nazi skinheads, where their Nazi ideology is their identity. Like it actually is. It's not. We're not talking about kind of, um, you know, would be travelers in the thirties of the Nazi party. So yeah, I think that's a different. That's a different question. I think. I Which it doesn't. Know. I don't think it. I don't think it negates the original point. I don't, I don't think they deserve a bullet in the head either. But I think in terms of politics being or not being your identity, I think it's contingent on the situation, which no, is kind of an thing to say. The question I, I mean, I want to argue with you here because this it's not about is it your identity, it's about what is because now we're a society that believes that identity is your mm. essence. Mm. And I don't think mm. it is. I think yeah. ident identity is itself ephemeral. Like identification is something you yeah. can do ambiguously with all kinds of things and it can change. And that's exactly what you see. I mean, my God, you know, like the hardcore scene in, in, in Boston in the 90s where they were going around killing kids for being Nazis. Like, I mean, it's actually happened, you know, like for fuck's sake, like these guys who are like, you know, LARPing as, as Nazis 
and okay, like you know, let's let's be clear, like you know, obviously, if if like you, someone's like a hammer skin and they're going out and like beating up immigrants or something, like you know, you need to do something about it in an urgent way. I'm not suggesting that Nazi violence needs to be, you know, you can turn the other cheek or turn something like that, right? But the the bottom line is those kids who like, you know, wear white bootlaces, like they might be a Nazi for six months and snap out of it completely. Just like, you know, all the like straight edge kids on the other side are going to be straight edge for four years or three months or, you know, whatever. And a tiny proportion of them will keep being edge for life, despite the fact that everything they do when they're straight edge is like to declare that they will never, ever, 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 ever stop being straight edge. That like I yeah I mean I, I don't know you can do the follow up with Nazis from the the nineties I think the vast majority of them just stop. It's a, I, I actually I, I agree with what you just said I I misunderstood your original point I I, I agree with yeah. that I think that's that, that's right. But and you need right. but you also need to create an environment where people can stop. Like this kind of insane yeah. like you know when if you start labeling something if you say the extent to which it's gone now I mean this this like now we get into this kind of cancel culture shit which we need to talk about actually because what has happened we what we need to talk about we're dancing around it. Because actually, the real coup, the real event yeah. here is the banning of Trump from social media. Yeah. Like, I mean, not just that, but everything else is coming. Like the, the proposals for new anti-terrorist laws, the, the tech bourgeoisie just asserting their control over politics in the light of this is vastly more real than this bullshit that happened on the 6th of January. So this is something I said the other day. And like, I mean, I think you can be quite ambivalent and be unsure about how to read the events of the sixth? I mean, the, the actual events of the sixth, then you know the events on the Capitol. I think that's actually, to be honest, especially this early on, quite okay. But it, I am staggered that anyone could celebrate what Twitter did. That because you would have to have such a shallow reading of what's going on to think that Trump being banned by Twitter is a good thing. I literally do not understand how you could possibly support that. Unless you're like a, unless you're a techno capitalist. Oh, fuck me. I just... <laughs> it's happening. Mark's this... getting, he's breathing. He's breathing. I'm, 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 I'm beside myself. Look, what these guys are doing is a coup. It's a fucking by the book coup. What you do in a coup, a real coup, not whatever the fuck we saw on the sticks. A real coup is you fucking take over the radio stations. You seize the means of communication. That is the first thing you do in a coup. Now, Trump's opponents control the means of communication, right? They already did. But they decide in this situation, oh, we're going to cut him. We're going to cut off the sitting president of the United States from his ability to communicate. That is absolutely wild. They did it in these stages. So the first thing they did, they suspended him for 12 hours, which was hilarious. I mean, like objectively hilarious because Trump got put in Twitter jail. Like, but like, it's funny when Trump gets put in Twitter jail, except like, it's not fucking funny because like, this was this, um, well, I guess, I mean, in a sense, it's like a kind of really pedantic application of their policies, which is like, Trump said some bad things on Twitter and Twitter's policy is reactive. So he said some bad things. So we will then stop him doing new tweets for 12 hours because he said something bad in the past. Politically and strategically insane, because what you badly needed Trump to do at that point is be tweeting to talk down his supporters. If you're actually concerned about preventing all this shit from happening. Now, the conceit was that Trump is going to keep having them up and give them orders to do a coup, which is absurd because the last thing he posted was telling them to stop. Right. So he, he told them, what did he do? He put a video out telling them to stop. And then he put out a couple of tweets saying that they were all beautiful people which were taken down because they would judge Twitter in its wisdom, judge those to be in, incitement to dare to tell Trump to, dare to tell the supporters they were beautiful. But I mean, for fuck's sake, like Trump is not a bad negotiator. And frankly, what he was doing was pretty good persuasion, which is like, you guys are all cool. Like just chill out. Basically you've got to assume they didn't want Trump to chill out his supporters. What you actually want to do is to shut Trump down. So you can freeze the narrative in that split second and go, Oh, look, Trump was doing a coup. We won't allow him to do anything negative. And then they banned him because, again, they want to keep this idea, this idea we need to freeze it at this moment. We need to freeze it at the moment and say, oh, look, you know, like this, all this shit with the inauguration on the 20th, they're going to have the National Guard there with live ammo because, oh, no, what if Trump tries to do a coup then? 
like as if this is a real prospect. And we can't have Trump muddying the narrative by existing and saying things that are contrary to the narrative about Trump we want to run. But I think we need to go back a little bit or at least do a bit of a deep dive on what Twitter and and their their mates are actually doing and what the basis of their ideology is. Because, I mean, I'm not sure about this. I was thinking about this the other day. When you say that when they banned Twitter, they were trying to, you know, freeze the narrative, this kind of stuff. Do you think this is like a conscious action they're doing? That is, they, they, they're kind of thinking these things explicitly? Or do you think they're so imbued with their own uh, bullshit ideology that a lot of it is almost kind of unconscious action? Not to say that it wasn't an, a conscious act to ban it, yeah, but yeah. because it's like, I actually agree with you. And I think I, I, I said it quite early is that the actual coup is what Twitter are doing right now. And, and as you say, there are elements of what they're doing which are classic coup moves. Well, we also have um, to put it together with the other. I mean, the other side of this like coup narrative to make sense is the attempt by a bunch of people, including some Republicans, Nancy Pelosi, to remove Trump from office. Right? Yeah. It, it's mind blowing because he's only got ten days left to run. Yeah. Like to even bother doing this, and it's. I mean, it's punitive actually. I mean, that's actually what what you know a lot of this is like we need to punish trump for what he's done we can't let him run out his term in office i don't know what they're actually thinking because like they've already they've already won trump has now basically admitted he can't stop the inauguration they're going to have an inauguration on the 20th with joe biden joe biden will become president trump is not going to oppose that like he said as much right i mean of course you know he could be lying but i just don't i mean what's the, what's what could his game possibly be at that point strictly speaking what they're doing trying to do is cement power Right? They're trying to cement power to an extent to which they can't be challenged afterwards. And what that means is they're trying to cement power to the extent to which they can't be challenged electorally. They are trying to suppress the possibility of a democratic challenge to their takeover or their, their take back of power, you know, because it, it won't prevent violence. Like, if anything, it'll exacerbate it. Like, if you want to get people doing crazy shit, then do exactly this. Like, remove the possibility for anyone to, you know, peacefully organise or express their opinions. Then, yeah, okay, we're going to expect, you're going to amp up individual acts of terrorist violence. I mean, they're basically assuring it with these kind of actions. The Trump supporters, you'll you get, like, Trump supporters on an individual basis will now go off and do shootings with God knows what, right? Because they no longer have a, have a conduit. I was about to say, that's not to say Trump supporters didn't do that before, but actually a, a real pattern, something I pointed out, out in, in what I've written about this, that, the lone shooters you saw from the right over the last four years during the Trump presidency, people often accuse Trump of encouraging them. But really, the pattern is they're people who were either never pro-Trump, so like real Nazis who are so far on the right, they never liked Trump in the first place, or people who supported Trump but then got very disillusioned. With it. Yeah, not betrayed. So tr Trump, actually, Trumpism as a vehicle actually prevented lone acts of violence. L lone acts of violence are what happened. They're what people do when they feel totally politically disenfranchised. Right. Anyway. That's kind of a side point. What they're trying to do here is is cement power. And they're trying to put the rabbit back in the box. You know, you want to have a situation in America where you have, you know, what you've generally historically had. And Trump was someone who, this is why he has all the support he has. He broke the mold and said things that were outside of the Overton room, right? Norm breaker. Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. They want to have a president who is, they don't care what party they're from, they, but they want to have some basic norms in American society around US capitalism and the US security state being observed. And to the extent to which Trump broke those norms, they were pretty minor. Like Trump's transgressions here were pretty mild. Like, but it was still enough for them to completely lose it. And in particular, I think yeah, a lot of it has to do with the the, the rising techno bourgeoisie, or the, the rise of the, the tech companies. I'm, try, I'm I'm really struggling to put this together now because there's a very odd coalition of people here. With with mm. it's a it's a kind of establishment that involves establishment because you had this. I mean, one of the things that's happened here is you had this big contradiction between um, old media, right, television and print and the social media. So social media basically started to really disturb, and Trump was a real sign of this, disturb the, the old bourgeois media's control over information and, and opinion. Trump is the fruit of that. Right? Trump is, is someone who got into office despite the media opposing him. And that wouldn't have been possible 10 years before. You know, 
It would be like if Ross Perot won the presidency or something. And what they've had to do is put that back in the box. And I mean, to, to an extent, it's like, the, you know, you've seen the, actually you've seen the assertion of, of the liberal media's power over social media. So they've demanded social media start censoring all this shit. I mean, actually, although I'm tempted, because I'm, I'm thinking like, oh, it's the power of social media, but actually it isn't. I mean, what you see with Twitter, really, it's not that this is what Jack Dorsey thinks or wants. It's that he's been brought to heel. And the same with Zuckerberg. Like, their censorship of their platforms has been foisted on them, actually. It's not, they're, they're not the agents in this. So I guess, really, it's, it's about a more traditional elite uh, reasserting its control. I mean, yeah. going back to what you're saying before, it certainly includes the neocons. I mean, let, let's be clear: like the, the neo in neocon is quite important, like uh, more important than the con. I mean, to be honest, the neocons are really—they're really neoliberals. I mean, they're liberal extremists. The, the, the neocons were never conservative. The neocons wanted a vision of u- universal neoliberalism at the point of a gun, and they fit as comfortably, if not more comfortably, in the Democrats than they do in the Republicans. So you think, okay, so because this is, that's interesting. That's slightly different to what I was thinking. So you think that the actions of the social media giants of the last year or two, I mean, although we, we might we might say it was a, it's a coup of some kind or certainly an ongoing coup, which is actually a successful one, this is actually a case of the older establishment reasserting their power via those conduits rather than there being a kind of new for a new leadership emerging which is like the tech the techno capitalists or is it kind of both at the same time perhaps i mean i'm actually say, there's, there's there are new alliances yeah. forming i'm actually contradicting what i've said before about this and on the spur of the moment like mm. while we're discussing it actually this seems to me to be because i've been running this like oh, it's the, the tech companies you've got to be worried about because mm. they're the new rising power in america but actually that's not it's not what we're seeing um, I, I don't see actually any evidence that they're exercising power. Like they, I mean, they're exercising power, but they're not doing it on their own account. There's some, I mean, there's some bits where they are like, there's this kind of, but then it's it's weird. This kind of like, ah, oh, like the, you know, the idea that the employees at Amazon are going crazy and demanding that Amazon deplatform Parler, for example, which they've done. That's more worrying still, you know, than the banning of Trump. Twitter is the wholesale deplatforming of Parler. What's that again? It's like a right, like a kind of like a. It's just it's just a Twitter alternative. I mean, it is it's right wing yeah. by. In the sense that the only you know, by, by, yeah. full of people who got banned from Twitter who are most right, yeah. yeah. But unlike Gab, it's not self-consciously right-wing. It's just a Twitter alternative, and it's been banned yeah. because it's full of because it doesn't have it didn't do what Twitter did, right? Yeah. And that was the demand. Like the Apple basically said, "Oh look, we'll let Parlay continue as an app on the Apple App Store if you guys implement the same policies Twitter had," which is insane, right? It's like, well, that's what's the point of existing if it just does. You know, it's not as good as Twitter. Like, why would it even exist if it had the same? So, Apple and the tech, tech companies in general do have this this kind of left liberal agenda, and they are all like, I mean, Amazon is is in bed with the CIA. Facebook's always been in bed with the CIA. Apple, not so much actually. Apple, not so much with the security stuff. But it's hard to do it. It's hard to do a straight reading of this because the tech sector wasn't like this five years ago. The tech sector basically was, an, during the Bush and Obama years, pretty consistently it was a kind of bastion of free speech as a, as a non-partisan issue. And that, that was its agenda. And with Trump, it flipped. Sorry, notably, Twitter played the freedom speech card when it came to ISIS. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's been, people are, are pulling all this stuff out, out now. Yeah, that's right. And, but the problem is with with these companies when because so, that you had that freedom of speech as this great signal idea in the internet, and it all died either with the election of Trump or with the Charlottesville rally. The you know real bellwether thing was the banning of the Daily Stormer. The Daily Stormer was comprehensively deplatformed in every possible way. It couldn't get a web host. It couldn't get a DNS protection. So it was basically banned from the internet. In fact, it's back online because they managed to find to find the hosts ultimately in other countries and using alternative services. I mean, it's been pointed out like once you had that precedent set with like the nastiest. I mean, basically that was the most extreme case because what the Day Stormer was was like as virulently like you know racist as you could possibly be, right? Racist, misogynistic, all this stuff. Like it was the extreme test case. But once it had been proven with that test case, then you could start applying it to everything else and, and since then it has it's been a, it's been a slippery slope and it's just we're constantly seeing this playing out 
I think that the tech sector basically were were able to put to resist all that while they had a, a simple principle that they were protecting free speech. And as soon as that they started going, well, some speech is too hateful. And not illegal, because there was always a thing, you know, like, okay, certain content is literally illegal to have, right? They can't have child pornography or something. Okay, fine. You know, that 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 wasn't a concession because they, that was always something that was illegal. But once once they allowed that certain stuff should be banned, not because it was illegal, because it was too hateful. We still haven't seen this play out. Like, we don't know how mm-hmm. far that can go. That's an interesting correction to your previous it's a major take. Correction, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's 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 a it's a yeah. It's a it's a major correction, and I actually, that's intriguing because I don't know. As you, I think it's just too early to tell because it remains to be seen whether it's yeah, as you say, a a capitulation in some ways of the of the tech companies to the old order, or whether it's a new alliance that's forming in a way that will play out that's ambiguous at, at, at the moment. Um, I mean, alliance is right. I mean, it's definitely the case that there isn't there is an alliance in play, but it's there's definitely a reconfiguration there in terms of that the, there was an antinomy that was between the between the like old media and tech companies. Hmm. It's I mean, it's still one you can kind of see in Australia where like you you have this like the old media aligned with the political right and the new media aligned with the political left, and you kind of saw that for a while playing out in America, but it's now just totally it, it's ended up in this situation where. Yeah, the political left is aligned both with old media and with tech companies in a kind of grand coalition against the, the hard right. And that coalition is held together by a mutual distaste for the hard right. What I find extraordinary is the inability for sort of liberal left-wingers to who celebrate the deplatforming or cancellation of the far right. For my case, it's not that these people don't have a platform anymore. I'm actually not, to be honest, not that bothered. But it's more that it's on behalf of it's being done performed by these companies. Um, it, I just find it astonishing that you could celebrate that when you know that their next move will be to do it to the left. Well, which they've already been doing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, because, because it's part of the old association of the far right with the far left is the same thing, which is, of course has always been false. Uh, but that, that liberal conflation will, will carry on. And, anything that's perceived as hate speech or, or as violent rhetoric. And again, the ambiguity of violence here is going to be key because if you incite violence against the state or against property or against whoever it might be, that will be grounds for deplatforming. Yeah. I mean, I think I've already made the point, but I'll, you know, in relation to something else, but I'll, I'll reiterate in relation to this. I mean, the, the principle of free speech, the beauty of it is that, it protects everything. Like if you, if you have that as your defensive line, then that's quite hard for them to get over. Once they've got over it, there is no, like you don't know where it's going to end. So yep. yeah, the left absolutely is open to closing down. Especially now, like, so what's the, we're, we're going to close down voices that are violent? I mean, so as if you can't ban everything associated with BLM on that basis, for example. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't. But what's to stop them? Particularly, what's to stop them under a Biden administration? I mean, okay, under the Trump administration, the liberal left were very happy for there to be mass protests and so on. But once they're back in charge, Mm -hmm. the liberals will have a completely different interest in relation to that. And yeah, well, I mean, what's to stop them mass banning accounts that advocate violence against the police, which like enormous numbers of people were doing this year? Yeah. We, you know, uh, I mean, it, it's kind of a like it's kind of a no-brainer. Like it's it's less than what's what they're banning for people people for on the right. What's the long-term prospects here, Mark? <laughs> Absolute futurology confirmed. Yeah, yeah. cursed, cursed futurology. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Me neither. No. If you read the Bible right to the end, you'll get it, get some ideas.
Don't you say how high? 